everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is a recording of our live show that we hosted last week at West Virginia University, where we talked to freshman students and interviewed three of them about the election, their thoughts on it, and so much more. I think it's a really good opportunity for you to hear from people uh, from Gen Z who are from West Virginia about their thoughts on the election living in this state, and much more. I think it's a great conversation that you all will enjoy, too. And we'll get right to it. But first, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Cornbread Hemp. Cornbread Hemp CBD, flower-only, full-spectrum CBD, none of that garbage stuff, no corporate funding. They're Kentucky-owned, family-owned, and uh, they've been providing some good products uh, for us for several years now. Been a great sponsor. Uh, you can use our promo code Latch to get yourself 25% off at checkout. They've got great variety of CBD products, including my favorite, the gummies. And now they have them in peach too. You pop one of those puppies in, you're going to be having a good evening. That's all I can say. Uh, very relaxing stuff. Very helpful. They also have balm. They've got oil. They've got CBD oil for your pets even. So check them out. Cornbreadhemp.com. You can support a great local Kentucky business and you can support this podcast at the same time. Hi, y'all. Before we start the show, I wanted to tell you about our new iPod Latcha partner, Power. Power, P-O-W-H-R, stands for Protect Our Water, Heritage, and Rights. And they're a multi-state coalition leading the fight to stop the Mountain Valley Pipeline. To jog your memory, the Mountain Valley Pipeline is the incomplete fracked gas pipeline that is steamrolling its way over life-giving water and land across 303 miles that span from northwestern West Virginia to southern Virginia. Look, we at Apod Lacha only partner with brands and organizations that we truly believe in. That's why you'll never hear an ad from big corporations or greedy big business on this podcast. We've chosen to partner with Power for the next two months because we believe in their mission and we want to bring you vital information about the Mountain Valley Pipeline and the damage it could cause to our communities. Over the next two months, we'll bring you ads like this, a lead segment on an upcoming show, and lots of great information that will help you be the most informed that you can be about this important issue. So stay tuned as we dive in. For more information, visit Power's website, powhr.org. That's powhr.org. like in West Virginia, we've been intentionally undereducated to keep us in the coal mines and the, and the log plants and, 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 and to keep us doing, doing jobs that don't pay super well, but they build wealth for the wealthy and they don't necessarily do anything but keep West Virginians down. So I feel like education is really the source of the problem. Thank you again for coming out and spending some time with us tonight. Um, you guys have been exposed to the name Apod Lacha for weeks now, if not longer, if you've been listening to this podcast. Um, we are so excited to have Chuck and Callie here with us tonight, um, the esteemed hosts of this podcast. Uh, they do a really great job of bringing to light different issues in their region and different um, assets that we have as a region. Um, which is kind of what relates to our goal here academically. So we're excited to have you guys. Sure. Um, so this is the first semester that WVU has offered the Mountain Scholars Program. Um, it came because we are a land-grant institution and we had a huge gap in services for students from uh, rural West Virginia in particular. So a land-grant institution means that you're here to serve the people of this area um, and think about their access to higher education and their ability to be successful there. Um, so in designing this program, my goal was always to make sure that it was a place where these students who are here today and those who weren't able to join us as well from rural West Virginia were able to leverage the assets that they have to be successful, take ownership of it. Um, there's a really big narrative around populations such as rural students that they need saved, they need rescued, they're not capable of doing it themselves, which is very parallel to people of Appalachia. They need somebody to come in and give them a handout. Um, that's not what we're here for. We're here to make sure that the voices are heard, amplified, and that they're able to figure out what they want to do. Um, I selfishly project that they all stay in West Virginia once they figure out their passions and invest in their local communities. Um, but if they choose not to, I will, with a heavy heart, be supportive of that choice. Um, and then with that decision, uh, my goal is that they leave with a positive view and a positive identity of where they came from. 
Okay, um, I'll go first. My name is Spencer Morris. I use he, him pronouns. And I grew up in Appalachia. I'm from Hickory, North Carolina and Beckley, West Virginia. Yeah, I'm a freshman here at WVU and it's really nice to be here tonight. Um, I'm Audrey Burchett. I'm from Jane Lou, West Virginia. Um, grew up here all my life. I was born in Ohio, but you know, Appalachian born and raised. <laughs> um, I am the second of my three siblings to go to WVU. I am undecided major. Um, but I hope I can find something that I love to do here in West Virginia and not have to leave Appalachia. And my name is Jackson Allen. I'm from Charleston, West Virginia, born and raised. Um, I've got family all over the state, so Appalachian to the core. And um, I'm also obviously a WVU student. Uh, both my parents are alumni from here, um, and I'm currently pursuing an undecided major, but I'm sure that I will find uh, my passions up here. It's a great place. Yeah. So let's start out with a, just kind of a simple question. How has campus felt for you in the last month or so leading up to this election? I would definitely say I've seen a lot of like, I don't know if this is just like all the time, but I've seen a lot more of like very opinionated groups on campus, especially like in front of like big part of campus, like the mountain layer. I see like pro-life groups and like very religious groups that stand out front and stuff like that who are, you know, trying to preach and interact with the students um, to kind of get them to see. I don't know if they're all productive conversations, but that's just what I've seen. And yeah, Um, I'm not really sure about uh, how students have really like I don't feel like I've seen a lot of um, of like student body, I guess, active participation in, in the election, like kind of conversation. Um, but I do agree that I've seen a lot more like activity of like different groups on campus, political groups, organizations. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Like um, we, I always referred to um, the people who stood out front as like the Thursday protesters because that's when I would see them. But um, they would always be out there with their signs and not all of them I would agree with, but I would, you know not heckle or anything but I definitely agree that they just it has died down because of the weather because of the weather I think but other than that I think it's stayed pretty consistent throughout the semester um I know with me and my friends and other peers we talked a lot about um when like Roe v Wade was repealed and that was like a huge thing I think for not just people I know but for like our whole generation you know it was a big deal and I noticed that a lot I've not heard a lot about um the election and like the senate race that's been going on but I've definitely heard you know conversations about politics the state of you know America right now and yeah (laughs) I will say again that I don't really feel like I've had many political conversations with people on campus um I feel like in in my guess I guess groups or cliques I feel like I'm one of the few people who's concerned with politics um, out of them, but uh, I have not really heard a whole lot of conversations on campus between other students about about the election or any current political um, issues. Um, same with me. I haven't really heard, talked a lot with any peers or any friends that I haven't felt any real concern about the upcoming election, but definitely whenever Roe v. Wade was overturned, it you could definitely feel the impact because mm-hmm. it was just so devastating that we were stripped from that. So, I'm hearing a lot about Roe v. Wade and, and the impact that it had on people to get out and vote. And I'm wondering, uh, was that a key motivating issue, you think, for you, for your peers, was that sort of something that people were still talking about up to the election? Because I know it was several months ago, and so there was some concern that people would not be as motivated given how much time had passed in between the Dobbs decision and now. Uh, so like, what, what's been your experience yeah, with that? Yeah, I would that? say um, uh, abortion rights and Roe v. Wade definitely is a motivator, I think, for people to go out and vote. Um, even people like from like any part of the political spectrum, I feel like um, – that's kind of a really big issue for um, everybody. So yeah, I feel like that was probably a pretty big motivator for like who all turned out to the vote. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I think people should go out and vote, and especially our generation. It's important to, you know, take an active, like, charge when it comes to issues that concern all of us on every level. Unfortunately, if I could have voted, I would have, but there's always next time, and you should always advocate for change. Yeah, I um, I saw something on Instagram the other day that said, um, you know, your uncle, your annoying uncle at, or was that you guys? That was uh, yeah, yeah, we that, shared it from. Yeah. Uh, I think that was Emily Calandrali, yeah. Uh, yeah, Space Gal. That was you guys. Yeah. But it was like, you know, your annoying uncle goes to vote. You know, people who have different views than you vote, and it's important that you vote too. Yeah. To counterbalance yeah that. I was gonna say do you want to move into uh, that let's let's do maybe the the Senate races first I think uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun um do you, let's start with the fun part uh so the big upset John Fetterman won in Pennsylvania against Dr. Oz um how do we how do you feel about that is that is that a race that was interesting to you he's a very different kind of candidate um he's kind of, i don't if anybody doesn't know who john fetterman is or have not seen him just look him up he's like he's like the most giant ogre like but gentle giant sweet man um but he uh he will be actually once he is sworn in he will make 10 percent of of congress will be named john so that's a bummer um but uh how do we feel about pennsylvania i have seen his youtube campaigns where they i always thought it was interesting because i heard the word yiddens Mm -hmm. for like the first time outside of like a conversation but it was just like a crazy race with like dr oz who's like basically like very evil like he was i don't know he's slimy. just doing all yeah slimy <laughs> grimy doing all this stuff he was and then he i was reading he um was making fun of john fetterman's like medical conditions and that was a huge part of his campaign was how much john fetterman had a stroke and was an imbecile because of that which is obviously not okay glad he lost because yeah especially yeah. as a doctor that felt weird yeah weird um what about you anything on john fetterman on John Fetterman, um, I'm glad he won. Um, I I will say I oh hi friend, um, uh, I will say that uh, I I did not do my um, a whole lot of research or like keeping up with uh, the Senate races um, the past uh, couple weeks necessarily. Um, I did read up some here and there, but um, and I keep track of. Um, current news events and stuff as much as I can, but I just didn't really keep up with a whole lot of the Senate races. But um, I did hear that it was a, a really big uh, race, and, and and I'm pretty glad John Fetterman made it happen. Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it was good to finally have, like, a Democrat in the Appalachian region. Yeah. Like, if you all were reading on that, almost every single state except for Pennsylvania had a Republican who won the Senate race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was nice to see that. Um, Fetterman won because otherwise it would have been largely red like across the board and um, knowing that Fetterman did win uh, like against a you know celebrity like yeah um, it was just really nice to see that he pulled through and got the win yeah that was an interesting race because and i think we've seen this across the country when you put issues on the ballot people vote in a very interesting way uh nebraska raised the minimum wage missouri and maryland both legalized weed uh i think there might have been another state that legalized it too i think Um, the other i think the other amendment uh actually failed for weed but two states passed it yeah Yeah. okay and then i think uh I, i think um yeah, no, it was Missouri. Anyway, um, I say that because John Fetterman was a was an atypical candidate. He's not. He doesn't have your typical uh, polished politician feel and look. Um, yeah, he's the first shorts and sweatshirt guy elected to the Senate ever. 
Yeah, rocking the rocking the Carhartt shorts and shirt. We we like to see that. Uh, but one thing, and we had him on our show back in 2020, and uh, he's extremely pro um, uh, weed, pro marijuana legalization, and uh, and expunging records of people who are in prison and in, in jail because of marijuana convictions. And that's something that I think resonates with more than just Democrats and more than just left leaning people. There's there's plenty of libertarians, plenty of right leaning people that also believe in that. I mean, you go down High Street here, and you 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 can throw a rock and hit three tobacco vape stores that have Delta 8, which is essentially like just like a watered-down version of, of weed. I mean, based on the farm bill, yada, yada, we could get into that later. Um, but I think that that's what we're seeing right now is these issues matter to people. And so that can kind of transcend party boundaries. And I think that really helped get uh, uh, John Fetterman over the finish line. Um, maybe it was him coming on our show. I don't know. Don't want to... We'll never know. Correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. Yeah, but. yeah. No, one of the things that I really wanted to ask this generation about is that John Fetterman, he kind of revolutionized a ca- like what a Senate campaign could look like by means of trolling his opponent relentlessly, like the crudite video. I don't know if anybody saw that. And uh, I mean, he made memes about Dr. Oz that went viral. Like he was absolutely relentless with him. And I'm wondering like your reaction to a, a serious candidate who is now a senator, like being so internet savvy and, and taking advantage of that kind of honestly like form of art like if you're funny you're funny if you're not you're not I think if you're gonna make fun of someone for something that they can't help like having a stroke you are fair game and especially John Fetterman like making memes and shit out of that is hilarious oh my god it I mean it's like Dr. Oz you know he's been in the public eye for so long and he's just been allowed to continue doing like shitty stuff but John Fetterman he's like kind of calling them out and holding them accountable in like a hilarious way. I love it. I think we'll definitely start to see more of that too as we get like further and further in time. I feel like more and more people are going to be savvy with uh, technology and, and, and I feel like, I mean, we've already seen presidents uh, are now active on social medias and, and, and we have um, our SCOTUS accounts and all this on, on our on our different platforms, so I think we'll probably see more involvement of social media and and, and um, whatnot in our elections, especially since social media posts also sway people's votes. So I mean, if you're if you're looking to influence the votes uh, or or the voters um, in the way that they vote, then you have to actually be on the platforms that the voters on are on and, and, and make contact with them. So, I mean, makes sense. Like, look at how many people voted for Kanye in 2020 <clears throat> because it was <laughs> so hilarious. And he had, like, a serious amount of votes. Yeah, and just yeah. because of the, I mean, he should not be. Right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Hard pass on him. But it, like, on like these, you know, platforms and uh, – catering to younger generations and stuff like that do hold actual weight now and i think more people are realizing that especially like john fetterman catering to that and it's you know it's showing that it works yeah yeah it's definitely a new wave of campaigning it it definitely shows some some value like it worked and it's um almost refreshing like because whenever I think about politics, I think about old people, you yeah. know, like, I feel like that's fair. <laughs> like, I think about I think like the average old, age of Congress is like, or yeah, like the Senate is like something. 70 something. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like old white men, that's who politicians are these days. So yeah, Joe, Joe Manchin's 75 years old and he's considered like middle aged for a senator. Yeah. Well, I, just- this is, we were talking about this on our last episode, like the last three elections, 2016, 2020 and 2024. So the one upcoming, they're saying like, oh, it'll be the the oldest president if elected because Hillary and Trump are going to be the oldest. Joe Biden and Trump are going to be the oldest. And then Joe Biden and Trump again are going to still be the oldest. So like, you know, we're we're not get, we're not getting many, many other options. <laughs> we're not. And I think that what we're going to see is young people starting to make that decision for other people which is good i think we saw a huge uptick in 2022 this year in voting and gen z and millennials and i think that's only going to go up more because one of the things that i've noticed is 
when politicians cut the bullshit and start talking like real human beings, not like programmed robots that you can open up their suit in the back and reprogram to however you want them to vote, which is I'm how pretty a lot sure of that's how Chuck Grassley's still alive. I think that's how most of them are still alive. And uh, I've seen it happen. It's wild stuff. But so like, I mean, John Fetterman's a good case study in that he doesn't dress like a typical politician. He doesn't talk like one, but he has very progressive views. And in fact, (laughs) he called us out um, uh, on how we talk once. In fact, Um, uh, this is before Callie joined the show. We had a different co-host on. uh, His name was John as well. And when we had John Fetterman on 2020, we referred to weed. You'll know I say weed. Uh, We called it cannabis because that's the technical term for it. And he was like, "Uh, hold on a second. Why are you calling it cannabis? We're like, well, it's, you know, it's what it is. And he's like, well, when I go to Lackawanna County, when I go to Erie County, that's not what people call it there. They call it weed and they know it as weed. And he's like, that's why I call it weed because that's what people understand it to be. And we got to stop, we got to demystify what this is. And I think that you're going to see more of that. People are going to start really dialing into that authenticity, but also like the no bullshit. They don't want to be, you know, wrapped around the axle with someone not knowing what they think or believe. And and so I think that he's going to be a good case study for what we're going to see in the future, I hope. Let's move to let's move to North Carolina. Um, just to recap on North Carolina, uh, this was a race in the Senate between um, a, a former congressman named uh, named Ted Budd, and uh, he's kind of a he's kind of a run of the mill regular Republican congressman. He didn't do anything bombastic. He didn't do anything like really. Like he was not involved in January six. This this guy's just like pretty. Pretty moderate. Um, Yes, yes. Uh, And then he was running against Sherry Beasley, who was uh, she is um, the the first uh, black woman uh, Supreme Court uh, chief justice of North Carolina. So uh, her tenure in North Carolina politics has been long running. Um, She in my opinion, incredible lady. I really wanted to see her win. I think that she really had a lot to offer, a lot of experience. And and she also didn't have like a bombastic record either. Like she was a pretty moderate candidate. Um, she didn't really go hard on some of the issues like Fetterman did. She didn't really come out on weed very hard, um, but she really hit abortion rights. That was something that she really cared about. Um, and we saw in North Carolina, which uh, w- North Carolina is like one of those really interesting interesting states that um, went for Obama, then went for Trump. And uh, it's kind of flip flopped. It's a little bit purple. It's going to be a battleground state for the next, I don't know, foreseeable future. So we saw Ted Budd win uh, this election pretty handily. I think he won by six points. Um, Did you all take a look at that race? Was that was that even on the map, on the radar? And, And how do you feel about losing potentially the first African-American woman to to be a senator from the state of North Carolina in Appalachia. I think it was kind of disappointing to see that Ted Budd, uh, when he won, I was reading this article on like uh, her opinion on it. And she was saying that she just hopes he stays true to putting North Carolina first. And I think that's like something if you're in politics, you should always put the people before your own values and hopefully he continues to do that. I think she probably had a stronger stance than he did. And I wish more people would vote for stuff that they really want instead of like a party identity, which I feel like more people tend to vote for that now. Yeah. I think you hit on something really strong there. I do think that party identity more than anything played into the results in North Carolina. What about you two? Anything on, on Sherry Beasley? Uh, well, I don't really have a super strong opinion on the North Carolina race. Um, uh, I didn't, like I said, get to read too deep into uh, a lot of the candidates like, um, or watch any of their debates really, or excuse me from other States, but it would have been great to have a, um, an African American woman. Uh, that would have been really cool, but I'm, I'm going to have to read up some more on, on Ted Budd and, uh, and, and see what kind of uh, policies he intends to put in place, uh, before I really formulate an opinion on it. But, but, um, yeah, that was, I was just going to say, I think, I think, you know, hitting nail on the head with the party ID thing, more and more 
people are going into partisan corners. But again, if you see issues that come on the ballot, which I know we're going to be talking about Kentucky's abortion amendment here in a minute, when you put issues on the ballot, people vote very differently. They vote very differently. In this state, if you have a D next to your name, it's basically signing a death warrant if you don't live in Monongalia or uh, or Kanawha County, pretty much, uh, um, or Jefferson up in the Panhandle. And really, with the with what happened in Kanawha County, it's really in the city of Charleston. Yeah. You know, every, everywhere around it was red. I mean, West. We're going to get to West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to jump but, the gun, but I mean, it really. No, you're is. good. You're good. Um, I do want to pass to you on the next okay. Senate race, though, because Chuck really, Chuck really wanted this one, y'all. I don't know if you've been listening to the pod, but this was Chuck's baby. Yeah, it was a baby that, um, you know, it didn't quite make it, I guess. Uh, so Ohio is an interesting state. I grew up right next to it. My dad was a steelworker there for 40 years, a union steelworker. Um, so I have a lot of connections to it. J.D. Vance, uh, uh, you know, I don't. I don't want to get too partisan on this this uh, this recording right now, but he was just a guy that I just don't like. He, his book, I think, was was a um, uh, kind of just trashed. How many of you have heard of Hillbilly Elegy or yeah, read Hillbilly Elegy? Hillbilly Elegy, yeah, that's his book. Um, it, which it, it had mixed reviews from from people that you know probably had never been to where we live, uh, and. That book served as a premise both for his notoriety and his celebrity and his wealth uh, while trashing the people that he grew up around and formulating an opinion about Appalachian, about white working class people uh, that caused a lot of people to resent Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky. Uh, and caused them to look down upon the people from there. And that's what I really didn't like about it, among many other things. I'm happy to go into that later. I don't want to bore everybody now. But Tim Ryan was a congressman who, or is, I guess, still a congressman who uh, ran against him, ran a really good campaign, came up about five points short. Um, But Ohio is a really Republican state, and it's one that um, party ID plays a really big role there. Um, and so you saw J.D. Vance got the endorsement of Trump, which allowed him to win the primary and I think carried him through to the general election. So uh, we're going to be hearing a lot more about him in the next six years, which is unfortunate in my opinion. Uh, but it's how it goes. That's, you know, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. Were you guys watching? I mean, how do you feel? Really about... Really str- I'm really holding it in. Here. Yeah. No, you're good. So, um, I, I mean, I'll let it fly for us. Uh, J.D. Vance, I feel like, sold out the region in a way. And, and I don't feel he like did. that's partisan. I I really think that this man, I, I, we did a whole episode on the worst quotes from, from uh, Hillbilly Elegy very recently. And a lot of them were making judgments about people that... He did not know. Uh, I mean, specifically things like saying that um, somebody, because they took too many bathroom breaks, it meant that they ha- they were lazy and that the entire region that he was talking about, which was eastern Kentucky, was devoid of character because of single instances that he saw. And, and that kind of narrative is really damaging. I mean, I feel like we hear that a lot anyway about our region. And I'm just wondering... Hillbilly Elegy and, and J.D. Vance, what, how do we feel about him being a senator-elect now? I think, it's I think it's devastating because he's misrepresenting our region and the people of Appalachia. And, like, it's, his book, like, reaffirms stereotypes that aren't true in the first place. And it's so devastating that he's elected to represent us. I think also to kind of build on that, like when you write stereotypes about a group of people, especially if you yourself consider yourself that group of people, you're only bringing down yourself. You know, most people that I have met who are Appalachian are very well educated, very passionate about issues. And to say that they're uneducated or lazy is just so harmful. And it's it's stupid, really, because, I mean, if you – talk to any kind of Appalachian person. They are some of the best people you will meet. And I think it's just kind of stupid to speak bad about the people you surround yourself with. Yeah, I agree with both of you all. I feel like, um, yeah, the reaffirmation of stereotypes uh, surrounding Appalachian people and Appalachia in general um, is very damaging and harmful, um, especially when you're running for a big, big deal public office to represent the people of Appalachia. 
uh, it's kind of ridiculous to, uh, in a, in a sense, put those people down for where they came from. Uh, even though, uh, you come from the same, 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 what am I trying to say? I guess. Yeah. He resents the people that he will now represent. It's something like my a hobby horse of mine is saying that you can't judge a state or a region just based on what color they show up as on an electoral map. There's just, it's just way more complicated than that. You could cut off half the state of California to be the 26th most populous state in the country that voted by Trump, voted for Trump by approximately 17 points in 2020. That's just one part of California. Um, for example. And so I think when it comes to stuff like mass generalizations, like what J.D. Vance has done, is he's used his own experience. He's looked at people who were abusing the welfare system and decided that anybody that's on welfare is probably abusing the system and is lazy and doesn't deserve that. And look, I know plenty of people who have utilized food stamps, EBT, all that stuff, my family included, and it's a stepping stone for people to get back on their feet. And it's an important one. Yeah, and now he has decision-making power over those very programs. It is horrifying, yeah. And so I think like those things are, are so important, but because of partisan politics, I think it's that stuff gets clouded where we just view somebody as D or R. Look, I've been guilty of that too. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm not by any means immune to that. Yeah. Let's move to the final Senate race here uh, that I really want to I want to talk about, and that is uh, the Georgia runoff. Uh, we have star football player Herschel Walker against. Uh, sweet pastor <laughs> Raphael Warnock. Um, nobody won that. So the uh, the independent candidate, I actually think it was a libertarian candidate, um, pulled about 2% of the vote, which meant that nobody um, nobody got nobody got over 50%. In Georgia, this is not in every state, this was actually um, a product of Jim Crow to kind of disenfranchise black voters. They said that you have to get 50% plus one or you have to go to a 30-day runoff. So this runoff is is in December 5th, I believe. So this it's it's fast. It is all all power in. Um, and and it's it's kind of crazy. And so what happened with these candidates? I don't know if you all have ever heard of an October surprise, but in the political industry, that is when you get a big news story right before the election. So the Access Hollywood tape of Trump that came out in October, if you can believe it, um, that was that was like very close to the election. Um, and so what happened with Herschel Walker is that t- there were two abortion stories that came out um, to verified people. I mean, very good journalists have done a lot of research into verifying that this is real. Um, Longtime girlfriends of Herschel Walker said that he paid for their abortions uh, and urged them to get the abortions. And so that was that really impacted um, the vote there. I think that that is why we are in a runoff. Uh, I would have predicted that Walker would have walked away with it um, had it not been for the October surprise. First of all, did you hear a lot of a lot of discussion around this race? And how are we feeling moving into a runoff that's that's so short? I definitely feel like like what you said, he would have walked away with it had that news story not come out. And I think wasn't a lot of his like campaigning he's for nuclear families heavily yeah. against abortion no matter the circumstance i think there is nothing worse than a hypocrite you know if you're gonna do something stick by it if you're gonna say something stick by it you can't flip-flop around it doesn't work like that and i think now because of that and because more people hopefully are educating themselves on these topics of discussion they'll be able to make a more informed vote and a more educated vote, hopefully. I mean, I read some of what uh, Warnock, Warnock, <laughs> what Warnock stands for, and I think he's doing some good work. So, I've, um, you know, before coming to the podcast, preparing, I um, went to the some of the candidates' pages, like, for, for running, and <laughs> it was almost comical to me that I guess I should have expected it since he is a football like an ex-football player but his campaign was just like you know get let's get ready for the play like the, let's <laughs> you know like football fo- win, I don't lose. <laughs> exactly yeah like it was just comical <laughs> like if if you're running for a senate like I I just, 
expect it to be more like based on facts and not like it's a game Mm -hmm. like it shouldn't be considered a game if it is representing people of your state for the country like I just yeah it's always so cringy when people really lean into like their professional identity like when doctors are like my prescription for Washington is common sense it's just so yeah Yeah, I think we did a dramatic reading of one of Dr. Oz's posts like that um yeah oh um yeah cool i i mean i agree i think that this is it's definitely one to watch because it is going to decide the senate likely very likely um yeah so uh it'll it'll be uh high stakes i feel like it'll be the most expensive race maybe we've ever seen in 30 days like i I think it's gonna be hundred in the hundreds of millions instead of the tens of millions i think there's gonna be so much money going into georgia um Poor, poor Georgians at Thanksgiving. I mean, <laughs> they're gonna be they're they're gonna not be able to avoid it. <laughs> like, would love that hundred million for something else other than campaigns. You know, like paying off student loans or something. Um, abortion amendments in Kentucky. You wanna you wanna let it rip? On yeah, that? absolutely. And then we'll get into I think West Virginia. After yeah. That. Uh, so I, I'm really excited to talk about this one because it's kind of. Um, it's it's one of the what you were talking about. It's putting the issue on the ballot and letting the voters decide. So earlier this year, right after the Dobbs decision came down, that, that uh, overturned Roe, uh, Kansas did the exact same thing. Very red red state by kind of like the the norm, um, and that got voted down handily. It was easy. Um, the, the, they, they decided that they did not want to ban abortion in Kansas. So we thought maybe maybe after the summer had come and gone and everybody was focused on different issues, maybe, maybe your pocketbook, maybe your gas tank, that's what you're interested in. A lot of the pundits said that, that people didn't care about abortion and that they weren't going to turn out to the polls. Well, there was also a Senate race going on in Kentucky, Charles Booker versus Rand Paul, who's Rand Paul's been in the Senate for a really long time. Um, and he won very easily, uh, I think, by seven or eight points. Um, oh, like, yeah, it was. He's like 60. It was really he won by a lot. And Amendment two, which was the abortion amendment, uh, lost or sorry, it, it, sorry, Charles Booker lost and the abortion amendment won, which means that in Kentucky, Kentuckians were splitting their ballots. So a lot of people were voting for Rand Paul and against banning abortion. What do you think that kind of tells us? I mean, that's that's Kentucky. That's that's kind of one of the places that a lot of people did not have a lot of hope for. Um, I think that is very interesting and I hope to see more of that because I like to be optimistic. I like to think that even if you are a Republican, you can still have um, rational views about what's right for other people and not just for yourself. And seeing that Kentucky um, voted down, would that be the right term? Um, That amendment is very almost um, encouraging because, um, you know, stand up for what you believe in. And if it's not right, like, you know, you don't have to side with a party just because you're that party. Yeah. I think that it's, you know, it's great that people, regardless of, you know, their political identity are voting to keep your, you know, people's access to abortion. I think that's wonderful. I think, people of Appalachia, you know, are strongly associated with like Republicans because they're people of tradition. You know, they believe in traditional values and stuff like that, but they also, I think in my experience, do believe in like, you know, access to healthcare and, you know, abortion being a healthcare issue. I think it's important that we protect that. I just, I think it's awesome. Yeah. And I'm glad to see that people showed up for, um, human rights. Uh, that's, that's pretty, uh, encouraging. Uh, and I also, the fact that people were splitting the ballot, um, hopefully shows maybe a de-radicalization of like people's political opinions. And maybe, maybe that's the wrong word. Maybe de-radicalization isn't the word, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely great to see that people actually like 
I guess made the right decision and voted in favor of of of, of women's rights. Of yeah. Women's rights. Yeah. I I thought it was a pretty telling thing, especially with. I think there's been a lot more information that's come out about abortion since uh, since Roe v. Wade was overturned, and I think more, especially more men, now understand the stakes more. I mean, myself included. You know, I have a sister who's pregnant right now who is considered um, uh, high risk pregnancy, and she lives in West Virginia, and that's really terrifying for her. It's terrifying for me, being uh, her brother, and it's terrifying for her family members because. You know, if for some reason she needed an access access to an abortion, I don't know where she would go for it, to be completely honest, because um, she lives right by Ohio. It's not really an option there either. And so, you know, when, when those nuances, when those complications come out, you start to realize, like, there's a lot more to this issue than just pro-life, pro-choice. And, and I think that, that we don't give voters enough credit sometimes for those nuances, because a lot of our politics is boiled down to D versus R. And when you start to separate that, you start to see people are a lot more complicated than D versus R. People have a lot more rational views than what a lot of the most bombastic politicians put out there and the ones that get the most attention. And I think there's a big delta of people that are, I don't even know if that's the right term, delta. I don't do math or science, um, <laughs> physics, whatever. Uh, there's there's a large swath of people that, that just are complicated and they split their vote on different issues. And we should be we, we should be acknowledging that while also fighting for what we believe in. And, and I think that this is a really positive result for Kentucky. Um, Kentucky sometimes doesn't give credit for it uh, bucking the norm sometimes in the way that it votes. I mean, they, they elected a Democrat governor not three years ago, uh, right after delivering uh, the state for Donald Trump. So there's really interesting, you know, dynamics there. And I think people are more complicated than what they get credit for. Yeah, absolutely. With that being said, I mean, a lot of the pundits, a lot of the news, I mean, every single news site and every single like major provider was predicting a what they were calling a red wave. Um, And I mean, that kind of did not materialize. I mean, it did in some places like West Virginia, I think, in local and state politics. But. I, I don't think that it, it materialized in the way that people expected, which I, I love because it does buck those norms. And and that's something we talk about a lot is that just because somebody votes a certain way does not mean that they're your enemy always. It means that it's more complicated than that. And so I'm wondering now, like that we've reached the end of the state, the this kind of state bit and the federal bit. I'm wondering from your perspective. How do you feel about the effectiveness of electoral politics? And, and to give just like a, I mean, just add a little bit more context. There are a lot of like, especially younger generations typically don't get out and vote like older generations do. Uh, in Florida, you saw that at 60 plus older, they vote like 70% of the people, 80% of the people vote in those age groups. Whereas young people, it typically is like 20 to 30, I think. Um, so I think there's a lot of apathy, but I would love to hear from you all. So about the effectiveness of the electoral vote, I think it's kind of a layered issue. There are definitely parts where it works and definitely parts where it doesn't like when you look at the 2016 election hillary won the popular vote but trump won the electoral vote which made him automatically president i feel like it needs to the system itself might work fine if it better represented the people i feel like it (laughs) sorry um i feel like it has the potential it's done great things before and it can do great things again but where we're at now it doesn't always serve us which might might mean it's time to reevaluate the system and see what's wrong with it why doesn't it work for the majority of the time this is a system that we've had in place for a very long time and things change people change generations come and go and think maybe it needs some reevaluating I agree. Um, that's a very thought-provoking question. Um, I think I don't know if I'll speak to the effectiveness of excuse me effectiveness of electoral politics, but I will. I'll say I feel like um, younger generations, uh, like Spencer was saying, don't necessarily get out and vote as much um, because I feel like the whole process of getting registered to vote and all of that is not as uh, I guess marketed to our younger generation as well. Um, 
I was fortunate. I, I think it was actually a really great program, but I was fortunate enough. My high school did a, a day long thing where they had us all register to vote and uh, they had some local um, and state uh, candidates come in and talk to us um, in just like an open fair kind of setting, mm-hmm. um, which kind of gets uh, the younger generation's minds onto politics and kind of thinking about who's representing you and your, your ideas and your opinions. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I'll say. I feel like it's not really marketed to the younger generation as much as it should be. I, I wanted to ask you how you feel about the issues that each party chooses to kind of brand itself with versus the issues that you care about. And I'm wondering, like, do they align at all? I think a lot of politics nowadays is very much the us against them mindset and that's just not true anymore I don't feel like I mean I wouldn't say I'm like a democrat or anything but I'm definitely uh, more on the left or liberal side of the spectrum I don't think republicans are against me I don't think a right-wing person is out to get me but the politics that represent them might be I mean they have real world effects on me. They might not on them, but I think it's important to realize what you are choosing and what you are voting for have devastating effects sometimes on both sides. Um, Like, especially in recent years with Republicans voting against like Roe v. Wade overturning that with a majority Republican uh, Supreme court and then, um, you know, trans rights, LGBT rights as a whole, it, definitely has effects and your vote matters whether you like it or not um well yeah i feel like there's overlap in the um excuse me i feel like there's overlap in the uh the issues that young people uh put kind of top tier and some of the issues that we see specifically the one off the top of my head is abortion rights um is something that's very um polarized and talked about um even in the younger generation, I'm not really sure. I can't really, I'm trying to think in my head about, um, I guess what I feel like my, 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 my peers, uh, believe politically. Um, but I, I guess I haven't really have expo- had exposure to it as yeah. much as I would like what, to what have. Me personally, um, I'm a big advocate for just human rights. Um, I, I think everybody should just really love each other and get along. And I'm kind of a hippie. I won't lie. Um, I'm I'm all for legalizing marijuana and 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 supporting people who are who are um, I guess from lower income areas. And uh, I myself come from a low income area. I grew up in Charleston on the west side. I went to Capitol High School, and and um, I I've seen what poverty uh looks like and it's just it's not it's not it doesn't look pretty so it's i just i just think everybody should treat each other with respect and dignity and we should allow people to be themselves and and express themselves freely and and just just love each other man it's not even yeah don't restrict my rights and i won't restrict yours yes yeah i feel like um it would be amazing if politics was just like for the general people and not what it is now as red versus blue or D versus R it's, it would be so much better if it was just like, what do our people actually need? What do our people want to see change in and how can I make that happen for them rather than these are the issues that my party affiliates with. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm going to push. And it would, it's, it's, it would be very refreshing to see people in um, represent like representing an area to go through a struggle because it just makes you feel more closer to them. Yeah. Like John Fetterman, like how he dresses, like it's just relatable. It's he like yeah, like Tuesday, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah your ten a.m. lecture yeah. that you're late for sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> what what are the what are the issues that drive you? Um. Well, like. Jackson said abortion is a big one um I can't say I've ever needed one but the thought of needing one and not being able to have access to that is terrifying like having a child is life-changing and being stripped being like having that stripped from me is just 
a thought I don't want to think about. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah. And like you said, (laughs) weed, that's, you know, for medicinal purposes. And because I think so many things are stereotyped as bad too quickly without so many, um, like, research being done into it. Like, the opposite with cigarettes or, you know, stuff like that. But, like, it's so important to just have an open mind about things and not label things so quickly. Yeah. I actually have a friend, a very close friend of mine, who uh, just went to jail because he uh, had weed in his car and he's facing a felony now. And just nonviolent crime and, I mean... I don't know the whole situation, um, but it's still these are things that affect people, especially, you know, impoverished people, people of color at disproportionate rates than it does when it is. It just doesn't have like it's not violent. It's not causing incredible amounts of harm to people. So I think it should be decriminalized. It's a moneymaker, too. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is exactly. a moneymaker. West Virginia should grow weed. And <laughs> put a tax on it, 100%. and we would make lots of money and grow. You see this state shoot up in so many different categories if you just did yeah. that. Yeah. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. You make lots of money. Anyways, to build on what Spencer was saying, <laughs> um, um, it is so incredibly devastating to see that the effects of um, like you said, a nonviolent crime is a felony and that affects somebody for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Like it impairs their ability to get a job to, you know, housing, ha- exactly. sometimes access to medical care. Mm-hmm. Like it's so just irrational that that's in place and the stereotypes that are with it again, like it's just unnecessary because if it's a nonviolent crime, what I just don't understand the. And you, you, you cross an arbitrary boundary and it's legal. Like, like, I mean, how far away is Pennsylvania from here? Like, what, like 20 minute drive, maybe Washington, PA? So you drive up there and, and it's perfectly legal. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, kind of circling back to um, like how that relates to being represented in politics. I think most people in this room and in this country would agree that like marijuana is not violent, you know? And most people in politics would say, Oh, you need to go to jail forever for having a joint in, in your possession. You know, I think politics, it just doesn't represent us anymore. So there needs to be active changes to the system and that's why you should go vote. You know, I want to, I want to ask a question to you all uh, about the issue of, I guess, class and 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 economic um what's the word i'm looking for stratification i don't know what that means um <laughs> uh economic anxiety we'll call it that um you, you all are in college uh, what year you're freshman are you all freshman okay so you're gonna be looking for a job um you know in two three years uh i know when i graduated undergrad god help me it was 2012 um everybody was worried about getting a job and that has not changed by my estimation now and everybody was worried about student loans like paying those off getting a good paying job having that quote-unquote american dream that we were sold and i don't feel like there's been much to change that and i feel like young people are are especially our generation millennials and gen z are getting the brunt of that, the worst yeah, part. Yeah, how of do you that. feel about the hellscape we live in, you guys? That's really what. That's the really the question is. I was asking. <laughs> I don't feel like politics represents that issue, and I feel like it is a common bond, regardless if you are so far right that, that you fall off a cliff, or so far left you sink to the bottom of the ocean. Um, that doesn't make any sense, but you go get where I'm going. I, I, class is a, is a uniter, and it's something that so many people in this country, especially in this state, struggle with. I agree. Um, personally, myself, actually, um, I plan on moving out of state this summer to do a job or internship because I simply can make way more money outside of state. There is no there is no uh, job that's going to that I can get as a freshman in college in in my home state, which I do love. And I hate to say, but I I can move to somewhere else that will pay me a lot more um, to do work just it's 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 really upsetting to see because 
Um, I feel like also, I'm sorry, I know I have ADHD. Um, I'll get back on the topic, but, (laughs) but like, yeah, I know. I feel like in West Virginia also, I feel like education is a big problem. Like, like education is, is, is ultimately something that needs fixed because depending on your level of education is, is going to be what, what secures you a job and also what creates jobs because educated people open businesses and do things that create jobs as well. So I feel like in West Virginia, we've been intentionally undereducated to keep us in the coal mines and the, and the log plants and, 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 and to keep us doing, doing jobs that are, are more, yeah, like labor intensive kind of jobs that, that just don't pay super well, but they build wealth for the wealthy. Yeah, yeah. And they build wealth for the wealthy and they don't necessarily do anything but keep West Virginians down. So I feel like education is really the source of the problem. I feel like I feel like our education system, as somebody who was educated in our education system, uh, I feel like it's not that great. I, I, I can't tell you a single thing that I learned in high school, except for my senior year when they taught me uh, how to go do an interview, which I already pretty much did myself two years earlier when I got a job (laughs) that paid me eight 75 an hour. So (laughs) I think definitely like what you said about, um, our generations being sold the American dream and it will never be attainable under our current economic status as the United States of America. It's really just pitiful actually, because I look at my future and I look at like what my parents or my grandparents have, you know, they have a house by the time they're 30, 25. And I'm literally probably going to be working until the day I die just to rent an apartment and have some shitty apartment with $300 to my name. (laughs) And like you said earlier with, um, how, when you have no access to resources or to education, you are going to be kept in the same cycle of impoverishment, of working a 12-hour shift just to come home and gain nothing at the end of the day. You can't grow your wealth for your children or for yourself. And it's a really unfortunate cycle that I. it's hard to look to break. Yeah. You know, it's hard to find a way out of that. That's why you have to keep advocating for yourself and others who can't do that so I do completely agree with you guys it is um it's astonishing that college is so much money yeah and at the I personally think that um you do not have to have a college degree to be successful like I don't think that secondary education is like at all necessary if you want to start your own business or even just work for somebody else but um that's what is like pushed to me like from my grandparents and not so much my parents anymore <laughs> but um it's yeah, they take just a look at your tuition bill and they're mm-hmm. like hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah e- yeah even with scholarships or like my parents are helping me like get through college and I am and eternally grateful for that because I do not know how I would recover economically from going to college and being undecided. It's um, almost sometimes I'm even like, is this even worth it? Because it's so much money for something that I'm not sure of yet. Yeah. But you know, so anyways, <laughs> I know that we're, we're going to move on, but one thing to kind of like put a button on that to end it is I, I feel like part of that is because a lot of the people that represent us, a lot of politicians are independently wealthy and can afford to take the time off to be a politician. Um, a lot of people can't They're uh, especially in West Virginia, it's a part-time job. Um, and if you don't make a lot of money, you're going to be really struggling to be a lawmaker as well as work a full-time job. Um, which is why I, take the minority view of saying that we should actually pay our um, elected people more because then you can get people who are not rich to be elected. I would, I would love to work in city politics, but that's impossible. You know, like you, you literally make no money um, doing it, but yeah, no, that's, it's bleak uh, and it's about to get bleaker, you guys. So <laughs> sorry, buckle up. Another kind of interesting and unexpected result of the uh, of the West Virginia state elections and the legislature uh, is that 
they're losing a significant number of Democratic seats. The state Senate this cycle had 11 out of 34 seats Democratic. Next cycle, it's going to be four out of 34 seats Democratic. So, you know, some people would view this as a huge victory. A, a, a lot of people have viewed this as a huge victory. Um, and and the, the red wave did happen in West Virginia. Um, but I, I want to ask you kind of what does that say to you personally about your future in West Virginia or the likelihood that you would stay here? Um, personally, I believe that there should be moderation, you know, yin and yang to everything. You need Republicans to balance out the Democrats and vice versa. About me staying here with laws that increasingly make it harder for me to exist here and keep living here sustainably for myself and for my future. I don't know. I love West Virginia. I love Appalachian. I love the the life I've started building for myself here. However, when you try and give back to a community or when you try and make a place for yourself and all you get is like a slap in the face, it's very hard to want to stay. Um, personally, a uh, big shocker, I am transgender. And there is a lot of like anti-transgender uh, people who are in politics and uh, laws that are passed, you know, anti-women laws that are passed, you know, with the trigger abortion bans and stuff like that. So it makes it hard to want to stay, but you have to sometimes. I feel like um, I myself, just quick question. I'm not staying. Are you staying? <laughs> I don't know yet. I mean, I like living here and I, I have to finish college here first yeah, of before course. I make any kind of decision. But I think a big def- a big deciding factor would be, is this something that can sustain me, that can give back what I put out? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. 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 What about you, Audrey? Are you planning to stay? I also don't know yet. I don't know how touchy this thing is. <laughs> um, okay. But um, I don't know yet, personally. I've always wanted to like travel across the country and um, doing that. I don't know if it seems plausible anymore because just so many reasons, yeah. <laughs> like it's, there's so many factors going into it, but at the same time, it's like, I would love to stay here. I would love to want to stay here as much as, the next person but it's this summer i'm i'm having to finance parts of my education myself so in my mind i I, i'm it's something that i think about a lot is back kind of to the economic standpoint of it but it's something i think about like how am i going to work and make an actual living and be comfortable because i want to have a comfortable life but but it's simply not something that's yeah i don't want to have to like decide meals or bills or or my kids or bills you know it's like um as much as i love being from here um and i i will always be proud to be from the mountain state but i myself this summer i'm gonna have to move um not have to but i'm going to um take it upon myself to move to a different state across the country and 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 find a job that will pay me more than I can get paid in this state. And also the jobs that are currently available in this state are all just corporate jobs. I mean, I mean, if you look at Charleston, West Virginia, the jobs that I could name off the top of my head that come to mind are all just corporate chains. Yeah. Factory work. Anybody who's going to hire me, a freshman in college is going to be Starbucks, Chick-fil-A, yeah, minimum Taco wage. Bell, any kind of minimum wage, McDonald's, yeah. Tudors. I'm going to get hired at some place working for 10, 12, maybe if I'm lucky dollars an hour. Um, I personally worked for Starbucks for a couple of years. They're starting to pay 15. But um, in our state, fortunately, our living costs are low enough that 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 15 can you can get by on 15. But but 15 isn't going to give me a, a comfortable life, especially outside of West Virginia. So. Yeah, yeah. So, so off the bat, I see, I see it as a, as a, a better opportunity to move out of state, which is sad to say. I would love to stay in West Virginia and find some kind of job that would give me, like, an adequate amount of money to be paid. But I just, I just, and that that tracks with the, you know, 
with the numbers in West Virginia was one of, I think, only two states to lose population rather than gain in the past 10 years, according to the census. And that's why it's one reason why I left. Like, I would love to have stayed in West Virginia and made a, a life here, but I, I couldn't. Like, there, like at the time, it was just a, a job consideration for me. Uh, what I hear a lot of people now is they love this state and they want it to love them back, and it's not. And it's so deeply frustrating. And and I think that, you know, if, if the policies that, that the legislature are passing – stay it's only going to get worse i mean you you don't have young people staying here anymore where i'm from in parkersburg west virginia they're the only jobs really available are at public debt you know it's, it's a good federal job treasury but that's about it other than i think um i think highmark insurance other than that that's pretty much it united bank there's no employers coming in there's no investment in the state it's all people leaving and and that's a problem and it's something that i think pardon my my wording but the legislature has pussyfooted around on and and not taken seriously and it's been to their detriment and and i think sorry to butt in but i feel like also you got to think when all the young people are leaving the state all the young people with new creative bright ideas things that they can do to change the state are just leaving because it feels almost beyond repair Mm -hmm. because i would like to be able to say that I could stay and I could make a difference, but it feels like I feel like to young people that, okay, well, everybody else is leaving and, and, and the state's a shithole and this is that and politics is in this state of disarray. And so we're just going to leave. And, and, and when you have those people leaving, those are your young voters. Those are the people who have new ideas. So that's why we, you're going to see increases in our, in our, in our, we're going to have more and more, red votes because it's just the older generation who stay live here and and you don't have any new ideas coming in i do i want to end us before i pass it over to a couple of questions from the audience i want to end us on a little bit of a note of of hope and talk a little bit about why i came to west virginia and why i'm here um and why I hope that more people stay. I think that in a state like West Virginia, in a state like, well, in not all of North Carolina, Western North Carolina, where I'm from, it takes bravery, but it takes us believing that we can build the communities that we want to live in. And I think that if there are people who love, love where they're from and can make it work, um, I, I hope that we do make it work. And that's something that I'm working very hard on in Charleston and where I live. I, um, I, I live in the Edgewood neighborhood uh, on like right on the west side. And, um, you know, a lot a lot of what I just I want to see more public art. I want to see more free concerts in the parks. I those are that's what makes me want to live in a community. I want to see dogs on the street where like there are good coffee shops and and those things you can make those work if you have buy-in from communities and so I would encourage you um, as someone who's trying to do that it is hard work but it can be done and we can build the communities that that we want to retire in you know that 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 we want to live in. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. We cut out the audience questions because we didn't have them mic'd up, but I hope that you all enjoyed this discussion. I thought it was really interesting. We're, we're looking forward to doing more live events in the future, hopefully some uh, that are going to be completely open to the public the whole time. I know that we only had this open to the public there at the very end, but we're hoping to do some more shows again soon. So if you have some ideas, if you have a venue, or if you have uh, just some suggestions for where we might be able to come to, let us know. Hit us up uh, either on social media or info at appodlatcha.com, and, uh, and we'll check it out. And otherwise, thank you so much, and we'll be back next week.